Human beings can't live without hope. It's what keeps us going. Uh, you, you take away hope and we shrivel up and die. It's just the, the way we're, we're made. Um, Stephanie and I feel like we've been running a marathon over the last several weeks. It's the, the end of the school year and, and we're just kind of almost pulling our hair out wondering why is the end of the school year so busy? You know, it, there's so many activities, uh, special events, meetings, um, class parties, theme days where the kids have to dress up a certain way, and then graduations, and it's all packed into this little two, three-week period, and I think it's all designed to make parents go crazy, but um, toward the end of, of that, that stretch, we just felt like we're, we're limping along, and there's one thing that kept us going. It's the hope that it's all going to be over soon, and it's going to be summertime, <laughs> rest, um, at least until uh, football practices start, and then we resume the Wenzel family taxi service. And hope is, is what keeps us going. You know, what, what gets you through a, a stressful work week? It could be, just be a simple hope of Friday's coming. <laughs> there's the weekend's almost here. There's rest. There's, there's relief. Um, hope gets the cancer patient, patient through the painful treatments. It's the hope of hearing the doctor say at the end of this long ordeal, you're cancer-free now. Um, you can't live without hope. It's just impossible to do it. Uh, God designed us to be hope-oriented people. Um, it, it's what we live on. But here's the thing. Um, hardship, it, it threatens hope doesn't it? It it threatens our hope. When life gets difficult, um, hope can can start to wither. And and hope sometimes can be a very fragile thing. Like a, a, you know, it's like a tender seedling in the the afternoon sun and the heat's beating down on it and the leaves begin to droop and, and the plant maybe even dies. Hope can be very fragile. Hardship threatens hope. And today we're going to be talking about hope in the midst of hardship. Hope in the midst of hardship. How can we have hope when life is hard? How can we keep hoping when everything seems to be falling apart? Um, How as Christians do we find hope? Where do we find hope? And Paul's going to tell us here in Romans 5, the passage we're looking at today. Uh, hope and hardship is a theme running through this passage, and so we want to we listen to Paul today. We want to hear what he says about hope in hardship. And uh, before I read the passage, let me just give you some context real quick. We've been working our way through Romans, but just as a reminder, Paul's been unpacking the gospel, and in chapters 3 and 4, he, he talks about justification by faith. Justification, that's is that wonderful declaration that God makes. We are righteous in His sight through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, He forgives our sins. He counts Christ's record of righteousness to us. Uh, Justification by faith means that God welcomes us. God accepts us. Not because of anything good we've done. We've been talking about that in Romans. but, But because of Jesus. Because of Jesus and and this righteous standing is is pure gift. 
all of grace. And we've talked about faith just being the, the empty hands that we hold out to receive the gift of righteousness from God. And, and that all can sound very cerebral, very theological, but Paul wants us to see that justification, this marvelous truth of justification by faith, it opens up a whole new world of hope to us. And, and that's what he goes to immediately in chapter 5 after he's talked about justification by faith. He, he begins by saying, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, since all of that is true, everything I've talked about already, chapters 3 and 4, because that is true, because that's a done deal, here's the hope we have now. As, as justified people, here is our hope when life is hard. So let me read for us uh, Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Um, you can find that on page 942 in the, in the church Bibles if you want to follow along there. I'll read Romans 5, 1-11. This is God's Word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Our God and Father, once again, we come to you. You are the the God of all hope. And many of us here today need hope, Lord. And so would you speak your word of hope? Would you speak your good news? Would you work hope deep in our hearts? Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, today we're talking about hope in hardship. And I I want you to see three things in this passage. How can we have hope when life is hard? What does it mean to have hope in hardship, and we're going to see three things. Number one, reasons for hope. Number two, the ground of hope. And number three, the logic of hope. So the reasons for hope, the ground of hope, and the logic of hope. So first, reasons for hope. Uh, Reasons for hope. And Paul gives us a, a number of them here in this passage, particularly Uh, the first five verses. Now, let me say this about hope. 
Christian hope is not simply wishful thinking. Um, That's how we often use the word, and that's fine. But when we're talking about Christian hope, we're not talking about just wishing that something good would happen. Um, earlier this week, you know, after you know multiple days in a row of, of grayness, I was I was hoping the sun would come out, that there would be blue sky and sun at some point. And I, I think it was Friday afternoon. Finally, <laughs> there was there was sun. But but that hope that's just a wish. That's just you know it would be nice if it if it got sunny out. Um, but there was I had no certainty that the weather would change. And, and that's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about hope, some superficial you know, desire for good in the future. Christian hope is confident expectation. Confident expectation. And that confidence, that expectation, is rooted in God's promises. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so we have this confident expectation because of what God has promised, and Paul here just, it seems like he's just piling up a list of reasons for hope. Um, solid gospel reasons for hope when life is hard. Um, the first one, we have a new relationship. A new relationship. He says, we, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of this new relationship. Now, peace here, this peace with God isn't so much a a subjective experience, freedom from um, fear or worry or anxiety, though the the gospel does uh, provide inner peace. This is, is something bigger. This is an objective peace, something accomplished by Jesus Christ. Um, later in the passage, Paul says that at one time, when we were outside of Christ, we were God's enemies. Um, because of our sin, there was hostility between us and God, between a holy God and sinful you and me. But the war has ended, Paul says. We have peace now with God. Christ has accomplished reconciliation. Through his death and resurrection, he's brought together these two warring parties. They're, they're no longer enemies. They're reconciled friends. It's a, a new relationship. And this new relationship is not only about peace, but also about access. Access. Paul says in verse 2, uh, through whom, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Um, That word, access, it's the idea of being granted an audience with the king. We have 20, as Christian people, as justified people, we have 24-7 access to the king of kings. Paul says we we stand in grace. It's, It's like a new realm that we inhabit. It's our new residence. We're not just... Temporary visitors, we, we live here in God's favor, in God's love, in God's acceptance. We have access to Him. Well, how does this new relationship give hope in hardship? You know, when, when life's hard, I don't, I don't know if this is true for you, it, it's the case with me very often, when life is hard, uh, I'm quick to conclude that God must be against me. 
Uh, maybe you feel like that sometimes. You know, things are, are difficult. Things aren't going the way that, that you want. Maybe with your kids or some other relationship or, you know, you're struggling to, to make ends meet. And you think, well, well, God must be angry with me. He must have given up on me. He's, he's punish, punishing me for something. And that's why all this is happening. And Paul says, no, no. You have peace with God through Jesus Christ. God's not against you. God God loves you. God is for you because you were in Christ. And and nothing can change that relationship. Not these these hard things going on. Uh, Nothing, everything else in your life could be falling apart. And this relationship, this new relationship with God through Christ, it's unbreakable. It's the relationship that matters above every other relationship. Even the good good relationships God gives us, this one matters above all else and it's never going to change. It's like this rock, this rock that you can cling to when the, the storm's raging all around you and the, and the waves are are crashing on you, threatening to pull you under, drown you, and this is your refuge. You have peace with God. You have access to God. You stand in His grace. Um, not only His favor, but His help. I mean, you, you can cry out, God, you know, I am just so overwhelmed right now, and th- these things that are happening, I, I don't like them. They're, they're really difficult. I, I, I can't do this, God. It's too much for me. And God says, come, receive my grace. Be strengthened with my grace. Be comforted. I, I've got you. You're mine. It's a new relationship. Another reason for hope, we have a new future. We have a new future. Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, and the idea here is that we have the hope of sharing in God's glory. We have the hope of, of sharing in His glory. That means being made like Christ. Uh, being made whole and complete in Christ. Uh, free from sin forever. A resurrected, glorified body in a renewed world with perfect union and communion with, with God. That is our future. This, this glorious future. That's where we're headed. That's what God is going to do for us one day. It's still future. God's already begun the work in us now, but that the fullness of it, the complete work, is still future. You th- we're talking about hope and hardship, and it's important to realize when, when life is hard, we, we tend to think it's always going to be this way, right? Um, maybe, you know, we try to predict the future, and in our mind's eye, it's just all disaster. It's all bad news. Um, you know, we talk about personalities. Are you are you an optimist or are you a, a pessimist? And and you know, some people you know just seem to be wired one way or the other. Uh, for some, life has has shaped them in profound and deep ways, and and then, so they gravitate towards maybe optimism or or on the other hand, pessimism. Uh, 
Uh, but in a sense, every Christian is an optimist, right? Um, not meaning, you know, tomorrow things will necessarily be better, but ultimately, ultimately our future is bright. Um, maybe not in the short term. Um, most likely not in the short term. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But it will not always be this way. Uh, there's glory ahead. God has promised. And in fact, he, he even uses our suffering to produce glory. Now, the Bible says a lot about suffering. And, and the Bible will sometimes say that suffering is something to lament. It's hard. It's difficult. You don't need to put on a plastic smile and pretend everything's okay. Um, it's, it's awful. It's an awful experience. But the Bible also says, as Paul does here, that, that suffering, it does something productive in our lives. Notice Paul says in verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. And, and I want to thank Paul. What's wrong with you? Rejoicing and suffering? Now, Paul doesn't say this because pain is enjoyable or pain is, is something desirable. No, we can rejoice not, not because of the suffering, but he says because we know something. We know that our suffering is not pointless. It's not meaningless. Um, it's not wasted in God's economy. And Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4 to talk about what suffering produces. Um, he, he says suffering forms us. It, it produces desirable qualities in us. Um, he talks about endurance, the, the ability to keep going. You know, the, the Christian life is not a sprint. You know, many people, they, they get introduced to Christianity, they become a Christian, and they're so excited, and it's, they're running strong, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, after the first lap, it's like, wow, this is, this is a bit more than I expected. And then the, another lap, and another lap. And Christianity is not a sprint, it's like an ultra-marathon. You know, a marathon's 26.2 miles. Ultra-marathons are like 35 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles. It's this long haul run, and it requires patient endurance. And, and suffering has the power to strengthen the endurance muscles, just like a, a long distance runner trains and stretches the muscles to their limits so that they get stronger. Suffering can produce endurance. Paul says it, it leads on to character, and the idea here is, is proven character. You know, how do you know what's really inside the ketchup bottle? You have to squeeze it. And then you see what comes out. Is it ketchup or did somebody put you know, mustard in here just to, to play a, a practical joke? Um, it's easy to think that you're a patient person when everything's going well in life. Everything's smooth. Everything's peaceful. Um, it's a much different story when you're put in a situation that tests your patience, right? Then you find out, I'm not as patient as I thought I was. <laughs> There's a lot more impatience here than I realized. Um, suffering has a refining effect. You know, it, it's like putting a, a bar of gold in the, in the furnace and the, the heat and the flames burn away the impurities and what's left is, is pure and beautiful 
and, and valuable. Suffering produces endurance. It produces character. It produces hope. Because we know these things, as difficult as they are, they're not pointless. Somehow, some way, and we're probably not even going to figure it out, God is going to use all this to produce glory. A new future. So we have reasons for hope. A a new relationship, a new future, and then third and finally, a a new confidence. A new confidence. Paul says in verse 5, our hope, this hope, does not put us to shame. Or it could be translated, this hope won't disappoint us. See, this hope that's sustained us and kept us going, it won't prove to be a false hope. It won't, in the end, let us down. Um, it won't prove to be that, that kind of wishful thinking I talked about earlier. I hope the sun comes out. sun didn't come out. Oh, no. That, that's not our hope. But, but how do we know? You know, Paul says this hope won't, won't disappoint. It won't put us to shame. But, but, I mean, how do we know this hope isn't a sham? Well, he goes on to say, he says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God assures us of his love, personally assures us of his love through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, again, when life's hard, we think God's against me. Uh, he's got something, he's, he's out for me. Uh, my suffering's a sign of his displeasure. And Paul says, no, God sent his spirit <laughs> to dwell in us, to pour out His love into our hearts. And and Paul's talking here about lived experience. I mean, I know we're Reformed Baptists, but we can talk about experience. This is a, a, a lived experience. And we know from Scripture that God loves us, right? If we know our Bibles, we know what it says, that uh, Paul will even talk about it in a few moments. Verse 8, the cross demonstrates God's love for us. We know this intellectually. But there are times when the Holy Spirit takes what what we believe, takes what Scripture says, and it takes the truth of the Gospel and makes it it precious to us, makes it real and and sweet and and life-giving to us. And, you know, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And a big part of the Holy Spirit's ministry to believers is helping us bask in God's love for us. Especially when life's hard. Assuring us that we are God's children. We are His beloved sons and daughters. He gives us a new confidence in God's love. This, this sense that I, I know what my circumstances say. I know what even like my own heart sometimes is screaming at me that, that God must be against you. But but we have this confidence that's not just wishful thinking produced by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, one last thing before we move on to the the second point. Um, I find it instructive here that that Paul doesn't simply say, hey, you Christian people, life's hard, just hope. He gives us reasons for hope. He, He appeals to the mind and the heart. He says these gospel truths, these, these realities, a new relationship, a, a new future, a new confidence, they're like kindling. 
They, they, they keep the fire of hope going. And so I, I want to encourage you, don't just drift through suffering on autopilot. Uh, very easy to do. Suffering's tiring, overwhelming, exhausting. But don't just drift. Uh, rehearse these truths to yourself. I mean, maybe even make a list of the things Paul's saying here in Romans 5. And, and when life's hard and you're tempted to doubt God's love, uh, walk through these truths. Remind yourself of these truths. Meditate on them. Uh, incorporate them into your prayer life. Um, your hope, your, your act of hoping, <laughs> needs a steady diet of gospel realities. And Paul gives us some of them here. So first, uh, reasons for hope when life is hard. Second, the ground of hope. The ground of hope. And we see this in, in verses 6 to 8 as Paul moves on from this list. Um, how do I really know that God loves me? I mean, Paul said in verse 5, we have this certain hope because the Holy Spirit assures us of God's love. But, but you've probably realized, if you've been a Christian long enough, um, subjective experience is, is a little tricky, isn't it? Um, tends to be fickle. One day you're just bursting with joy. God loves me. It's so wonderful. And the next day you're down in the pit. He doesn't care about me, doesn't love me, doesn't even want anything to do with me. And and I mentioned earlier, we tend to kind of measure God's love by our circumstances. You know, if I'm healthy, if I'm doing well in my career, um, successful in school, people like me, um, then God must love me. But if you know circumstances aren't so good, I, I'm not so sure. Now, if you asked Paul, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know? Do you know what his answer would be? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. He says it twice here in the passage, verse 6, and again in verse 8, Christ died for us. God gave His own Son for me, Paul would say, His beloved Son. That is how I know that God loves me. Verse 8, God shows His love for us, demonstrates His love, gives us proof of His love, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we see it at the cross. That, that's the ground of my confidence. Our, our hope and our confidence in God's love, they're anchored in this reality of what He has done for us through Jesus. You know, at the end of the day, my hope is not based on anything inside of me. It's not even based on my sense of God's love for me. It's not based on my theological knowledge. I could be the most astute theologian in the world. doesn't matter. It's not based on my spiritual experience, the, the heights of joy that I reach. It's not based on my Christian character. None of those things is the ground of our hope. Circumstances aren't 
the basis for hope. The ground of our hope is what God has done through Jesus Christ. His death and His resurrection. That is where we plant our feet. That is an an objective reality outside of ourselves. My confidence in God's love, it, it, it rests in this Jesus who came from heaven to earth to die for me. That's, that's something solid. <laughs> that, you know, we sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let me quickly highlight something Paul says here in addition about the cross and God's love. And it, this is really important, an important distinction to get. If, if you don't understand this distinction, um, your view of God's going to be distorted. Your view of his, his character and his love is going to be skewed. And, and, the, and it's this, is what, this is what Paul says. The, the cross reveals God's love. It's not the cause of God's love. The, the cross reveals God's love, shows us God's love, proves that God loves us, but it's not the cause of his love for us. Um, and let me put it this way. God doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. Do, do you get the difference? Do you, do you see the distinction? The cross wasn't about you know, gentle, mild, compassionate, loving Jesus, persuading some cold, angry uh, Father in heaven to go easy on these miserable sinners. The Father's love was the reason Jesus died for us. One of the most elementary Bible verses, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Father's love was prior to the cross. And you know, sometimes we, we get it into our heads that, you know, God the Father is that, that harsh, judgmental member of the Trinity, and, and Jesus is the, the kind one. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, Jesus is the Father's love incarnate, God the Father's love in human flesh. Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and Paul wants us to realize the Father loves you. The Son loves you. The Spirit loves you. And how can you know? How can you know? Because Jesus died for you. No other reason He would have done it. Because of God's love. He came out of the Father's love to give Himself in love for us. And and notice one more thing here. Uh, God didn't wait for us to clean up ourselves. Uh, He sent Christ to die for us when we were what kind of people? Look at the terms Paul uses. Verse 6, Christ died when we were weak, when we were morally weak, powerless to save ourselves. He says Christ died for the ungodly, not the godly, not the righteous, not the holy, the ungodly. Verse 8, Christ died for sinners. God's love reached out to us when we didn't deserve it. Paul says Christ died while we were still sinners, while we were weak and helpless. Now, 
we could understand someone sacrificing themselves for someone who was worthy of it, right? Maybe someone who deserved it. I mean, you, you can picture a Secret Service agent taking a bullet for the president, right? In part because it's their job. In part because the president's an important person. They want to protect him. Uh, you could understand something like that. But Paul says even, even that kind of thing is rare. Verse 7, One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Paul says it, it's, it's possible but it's not likely. And, and this is where God's love is shocking. God doesn't die for the righteous person. Uh, Christ doesn't die for the good person. Christ dies for the enemies, for God's enemies, for the, the mess-ups and the failures. He, he, God gives his own son for them. Costly love. Um, amazing love. I love that we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Every week, the supper points us to God's love demonstrated at the cross. You know, in the, in the week leading up to Sunday, it's easy to lose sight of God's love. Um, it, it's often easy for me. Maybe that's your experience. You know, you go through the week wondering, God, are you there? God, do you care? Um, do you hear me? I, I'm struggling right now to believe you love me. My life seems to say you don't. Or, or you look inward and, and all you see is sin. All you see is the, the failures and the faults and the weaknesses. And, and you think, how could this God love me? And then you come to the Lord's Supper and you hear and you see and you taste and you touch the good news of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. This is my body. This is my blood given for you, given when you were in the worst possible condition, given because the Father loves you. And and the reasoning is, if God loved you enough to give His Son for you when you were in that terrible state, He can't ever stop loving you. Ever. can't ever stop loving you. And so we have reasons for hope in hardship. The, the ground of our hope in, heart, in hardship is what God has done for us through Jesus. And then finally, this morning, we want to see the logic of hope in verses 9 to 11, the logic of hope. Um, Paul, so far, he's, he's focused on the past, what God has done for us in the past, through Jesus' death on the cross. Christ has died for us. We have been justified. We have peace with God. We stand in grace. Um, But what about the future? How can I know that God will keep loving me? Um, How do I know that He won't abandon me? And, And Christianity teaches there's this future day of judgment. And we've talked about this several times in, in Romans, this day of judgment when God will judge the world based on what people have done. It'll be an impartial judgment, a just judgment. How do I know that I'll be saved in the end? What, what hope do I have of being spared God's judgment? And, and Paul answers that question as he likes to do with the, the logic of hope. 
And if you've read Paul's letters, if you're familiar with with Paul's letters, you're familiar with this kind of logic. It's a a how much more argument. And it it goes like this. If, If A is true, how much more B? If, if A has happened, I'll turn this into less of an algebra lesson in a moment. If, if A has happened, how much more will B happen? And, and Paul does it like this. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, so that's if A, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And what Paul is saying is this. God has already done the harder thing. You know, he, He's done the harder thing, so he'll most certainly do what, what is you know, theoretically the, the easier thing. You know, if, if I bought my teenage sons a, a brand new car, and I saw that I just got their attention. If I bought them a brand new car, if I spent all that money, and I wouldn't, but if I spent all that money, I'm certainly going to fill up the gas tank so they can drive it around and enjoy it, right? I, I, wouldn't, I can't afford the electric car, so it has to be a gas-powered car. Um, I would certainly fill up the gas tank, right? If, if I did the harder thing, going through all the trouble of getting them a, a vehicle, I'm going to do the easier thing, right? Just spend a few, some, well, not just a few, but spend some more money filling up the tank. That, that's Paul's argument. God has accomplished our justification through the blood of Christ. He's done the harder thing, and, and he's atoned for our sin. He's put us right with himself. If he's already done that, He's he's certainly going to save us from his wrath on the day of judgment. God justified us at great cost to himself. And he's not going to waste that. He'll certainly rescue us on that day. He's going to finish what he started. And, And Paul just says it another way in verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So again, the contrast. We were enemies and God made us his friends. He reconciled us to himself. That was the harder thing, overcoming that hostility because of sin. And now that we're reconciled friends, how much more will he save us in the future? You know, if Jesus' death accomplished reconciliation, how much more Will his life, Paul says, how much more will his resurrected life accomplish our final salvation? Do you see the logic? If God did the harder thing, he'll most certainly do the easier thing. We can trust him to do it. Uh, There's just no way God would sacrifice so much to deal with our sin only to bring us under his judgment in the end. That's the logic of hope. That's the the confidence we have in Christ, that our future, if we're in Christ, it's absolutely secure. And that security doesn't rest on your ability to stay the course, your ability to keep going, to, to make something of yourself. It rests on Jesus. His blood and His righteousness. 
because he died, because he lives, your future is safe and secure. The, the logic of hope. And so Paul, you know, as he wants us to think about hope in hardship, he, he gives us reasons for hope. He, he talks about the ground of hope, the logic of hope. And, and because of all that, he can say in, in verse 11, more than all that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, you remember earlier in Romans, Paul said, you know, boasting's excluded by, by God's grace that we receive through faith. Boasting is excluded. That word rejoice, it's the same word translated boast. Um, self-absorbed, self-centered boasting is excluded, but we have all the reason to boast in what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We have this solid hope. And, and I want to close with a, a section from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's been a little while since I've quoted it, and it just summarizes so beautifully everything Paul's saying here about this hope that we have in hardship. And the the catechism asks, what is your only comfort? What is your only hope in life and in death? And just these marvelous, memorable words. Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. What is your hope in hardship? It's that you belong to a faithful Savior who gave His life for you who lives in heaven for you, who will do everything in His power to preserve you and keep you and guard you and protect you to the very end. He's not going to fail. This hope is not going to disappoint. You belong to Him. That's what Paul's been saying. That's what this catechism captures so beautifully. You belong to to Him. He's your hope in hardship. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that You would meet any right now whose hope is wavering. That You would strengthen their hope, their rest, their trust, In Jesus Christ, would you let them find all their comfort, all their peace, all their hope for now and eternity in your beautiful risen Son who laid down his life at great cost so that we might have hope. So, Father, we thank you for your great love. 
assure us of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.